reminds me when I think about where they are of myself when I sat in programs wondering if I could really be free, if God was really real, if this ache in my heart can ever be satisfied. And there was people praying for me. That's all I know. And I'm standing here today as a product of grace, the grace of God, but also because of people that stood in the gap and prayed for my soul. And I'm very grateful uh, to my wife, to my family, uh, to a church that prayed for me because I know it was their prayers that availed much in the kingdom of God. And I'm very grateful this morning. And I want to look at the topic of prayer this morning. Praying for lost souls really is what I want to call the message. So let's pray uh, before we start. Lord, I'm reminded this morning of Your mercy in my life and all the people that laid their lives down for me, all the people that prayed for me, and all the miraculous things You did to rescue this one soul. And I'm sure there's many in here that have a testimony that's very similar, whether or not they were in drugs or not. It doesn't matter, Lord. You saw them. You laid a burden on someone's heart. They prayed, Lord. You intervened in their life. You brought about in their hearts a wonder of wonders, a miracle. You opened the eyes, Lord. You opened the understanding, Lord, that we might understand our lostness, but also what You did on the cross for us, Lord. Salvation is a wonder of wonders, Lord, and You wrought it in our lives. And Lord, we're grateful today for Your mercy in our lives. But God, You didn't leave us here just to rejoice in what You did for us. We're here for the sake of others. We're here because now we're to stand in the gap. We're to be the ones to pray. We're to be the ones, Lord, to stand between life and death of a soul and to plead Lord, and to not give You rest day or night until there's intervention, Lord, until they are rescued before it's too late. And God, You have to do a work in us. God, You have to do something inside of us to make that more real to us, Lord. And that is my prayer this morning, God, that You would disturb us. God, disturb us in a way, Lord, that we would not have rest with the thought of souls perishing, with the thought of people facing an eternity without You. God, make it real. Only You can do that, Lord. And I'm trusting You. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit, Lord, that when we leave here, we won't just have heard some quaint sayings or or been affected just for a little bit. Lord, I'm praying and believing You for a long-lasting effect that we will not be the same that Your Word would disturb us in that way, Lord. That it would change our whole outlook on life and what we do with our time here on earth, however long that might be. So Lord, speak to us. We're here, Lord. We're listening. We want to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. We want to be led by You, Lord. We want You to use our lives for Your glory. 
So God, have your way and speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God has a way of impressing His thoughts on our minds and our hearts. And I'm very thankful for that. Because you know my heart always is, Lord, you know what you want to speak to us. And and God is faithful and, and He really does speak to us. And I want to say this to you guys. God really, really wants you to know that you can walk with Him in an open heaven. You can walk with God in such a way that you are communicating with Him all the time. You're speaking with Him, but, but better yet, He is speaking to you and you are being led by the Holy Spirit. God is supernatural. You understand that. When we are born again, this is a supernatural thing that happens. The Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of us. The Holy Spirit who, who reveals truth, who leads us, who guides us, who comforts us. And God has promised that we would be light, that we would be a testimony in the earth. That He's alive. That He's real. That He's living. We would be the beacon of hope and light that lead people to Christ in our sojourn here in earth. And and God wants you to believe Him more and more for that. But what we're going to see is it comes at a price. It comes at a price. And, you know, when we look at the book of Acts in the early church, we see many references, you know, continuing steadfast in prayers. It means they were very serious. They understood how important it was to remain in that communication with God. Not just individually, but as a body. They were always praying. In Acts alone, there's 29 times it talks about prayer. You know, the whole idea that they were praying or they were continually praying. They were one in accord, praying. And we know God was doing miraculous things. So, as we look at that, we see prayer wasn't like a spiritual discipline that sometimes we make it. Like, yeah, I need to be disciplined. I need to have a prayer time. No, it was their life. It was just part of how they walked with God had nothing to do with a discipline, although we need discipline, right, to do it. But it wasn't that for them. And we see corporate prayer was a major emphasis in the early church. The main focus of that prayer was what? Souls. I understand we pray for things. I need a job. I need this. You know, we, we pray for healing, which we're, we're told to do. But I, I think we don't understand a lot of times, sometimes we can get all caught up in our personal needs or the things of this light, and we forget that really our goal, our purpose, our striving together really is for the gospel. That's what it's all about. It really is about souls. And that was their main emphasis. Lord, give us power so that we can preach the Word, so that we can proclaim the Gospel. 
Lord, give us signs and wonders so it can confirm that Word. Not so that we can look spiritual. Lord, this is all about proclaiming the Gospel to the lost. That was their main focus. Again, we can get sidetracked from from that at times. Now, in Luke 17, Jesus said this about the days of Noah. And, you know, we look at the early church, we look at what they were facing, we look at what was coming, and we understand they were in a very difficult place, so we can kind of say, well, of course they prayed. You know, they understood the time they were living in. And that does cause the church to understand a little better, like, we need to pray. Like, we can't do this in our own church. We need what God has promised us. And if we're going to affect and rescue souls, it's going to have to be God. Speaking through us, it's going to have to be God. Piercing their hearts, opening up their understanding. So they prayed. Well, Jesus, in Luke 17, describing days that I believe we are living in, said this about those days in verse 26. He said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, It was this way in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and it destroyed them all. Even so, it will be that way in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, think about our world right now. Our world, our society is becoming more and more and more what Jesus spoke about. More and more. Just the violence. Just that. Last night, another mass shooting in California. Ten people murdered. Many others injured. I mean, it's just every day. It's something. And then forget about what they're doing to our kids. And all the other issues that are happening right now, all the the global things that are happening, it's all what the Bible talks about. So we are in darkening days, and God is stirring us to look to Him for what we need, but also for others. Because I don't know about you, when I see this happening, and, and I understand I don't even know how much time I have. I want to get as many people into the boat as I can. We could say the ark. As many as I can before it's too late. So in such impending calamities, again, the church should be a place of prayer. Our individual lives should be a place of prayer. In, in the Old Testament, we see With impending judgment, God's always looking. He's looking. Where is the man that will stand in the gap? Where is the one that will stand between life and death for my people? And we see them all throughout Scripture. So, what's interesting is, and Glenn brought this up uh, after prayer the other morning, because I was looking at this. This is just another way the Lord confirmed. He said, oh, I'm doing a podcast on that. 
And he said, I never saw this, but, you know, you look at chapter 17 and 18, and really, a lot of times, there's no split in the chapters. It really runs one into the other. And this is one of those instances where really the flow goes right into. So Jesus is tying this statement into what he just said about the days of Noah. And he says, then he spoke a parable to them in Luke 18.1, that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he shares the, the parable of the persistent widow who has a need and she's just relentless and just giving this so-called, you know, painting this picture of this unjust judge, which obviously God isn't. But she's so persistent, he finally gives her what she wants. And it ends with, how much more, our Heavenly Father? And it's a picture of God showing us how we should pray. Persistent praying. He says you're going to have to learn how to pray and not lose heart. I had a lot of things this week leading up to this. Um, I met with a dear sister who is doing a shelter here in the area. And when you hear about the needs, and I know about it, that's why we did what we did here. That's what this is all about. But when you hear the needs, when you hear what sounds like an impossible situation, you understand we need God. We need something supernatural to happen. Then I go over to a family we've been helping out, a guy I've been speaking to in prison, and the door opens and you see the utter despair in the children's faces. You know what's going on there. You see the people coming in and out. And you think, Lord, this is just one house. And something inside says, we got to do something, Lord. Lord, I, was, I drove away saying, God, you got to do something. you got to do something, Lord. And something in you grows and grows a, a burden, a groaning. God, you got to do something. you got to do something, Lord. You have to do something. And then we had some dear friends over the house, and they just shared about their kids. And I thought, God, you got to do something. just sounds like a hopeless situation. And it kept growing and growing, one thing after another after another. Then I think about Meadowview. I think about all the different things. Just, just here. And then I watch a, a talk by Francis Chan, and he's talking about Burma and, and different places like Africa, and he's describing the need. And your heart gets overwhelmed, and the cry is, God, you got to do something. God, you got to do something. Where's the man? And he, he talks about, you know, seeing a child that died the day before that looked so skinny. He wondered, how did this child even live? And he was thinking, we only got here a day earlier with some food. And something begins to happen in your heart, a burden, a cry. I remember in Walmart one day, a guy tripping out on drugs, zombied out, nodding in the aisle, and I walked over to him. And I looked at him, and I remembered that was me. 
I remember walking around like that, and people probably looked at me like, what is up with that guy? I scared my wife sometimes. Because it was a crazed look out of my mind. God, you got to do something. And he's looking. He's looking for people that will do something. And the first thing we do is pray. And we're going to see prayer gets mixed with action. It's, we don't just go in a cave and pray. There's action involved, but most of it is prayer. And, and what I want to get into you guys is, if you are a person of prayer, if you are getting God's heart, if you are in a seating, He will lead you. He will tell you when to go. He will tell you when to say. He will set up the right opportunities for that person or people. But it will be Him. It won't be our ideas. It won't be our plans. It won't be, oh, let's just do an outreach. No, it will be the Holy Spirit guiding us. And God will be the one intervening. Intervening. So God is looking. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, for all who are in authority, that we may lead a, a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is God's heart. All men. He desires that all men. He doesn't desire that any would perish. Verse 8 says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, I'm going to read you some quotes from a book called Praying Effectively for the Lost. It's an excellent book by a man named Lee Thomas. And he talks about Jesus. And Jesus really is our ultimate example. And if you look at Jesus and how he prayed, you start learning a little bit what that looks like. And Isaiah 53 says he made intercession for the transgressors. And that prophecy we see fulfilled when he's hanging on a cross after being beaten, despised, after taking upon himself the sins of all mankind and, and unimaginable spiritual attack and oppression. And no one will ever understand what Jesus really faced on that cross. He faced the wrath of God for us. And I don't even understand the, the enormity of that. But He did. It was poured out on Him. And in that, in the midst of that, while He's dying, He prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's a picture for us of God's heart. And the more you spend time with Him, the more you pray, you commune with Him, He gives you that heart. That's what it means to suffer with Jesus, to fellowship in His sufferings. It's allowing Him to give you your heart. You see, prayer really is a lot for us. The more we pray, we become more like Him. We get more of His heart. So it really does 
It's part of how God changes us to be more like Him. So, God has made intercession now our responsibility. Okay? Being members of God's holy priesthood, which it talks about in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, makes us responsible for others. Because priests represent um, earth to heaven. Our primary task is to stand between mankind and God, pleading their case to Him. This is exactly what Aaron did. And if you read that in number 16 in the last part, there's a plague that breaks out because of the people's sin and they get incense, which is a picture of prayer, and Aaron stands between the plague and the people. Thousands are perishing. And it's a picture of that man, the priest, standing between judgment and the people. It's powerful. And what we see, again, especially in the life of Jesus, when we enter into session and praying for souls, we have to sacrifice ourselves. We have to sacrifice everything about our lives. But yet, isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't that what it means to be a disciple of Christ? To forsake all for Him? My life, my comfort... So I can follow Him? Right? But what does it mean to follow Him? It means to be like Him. It means to do the things He wants us to do. It means to be His hands and feet now. The rest of our time here on earth. We find this demonstrated in the Apostle Paul, who says, and this one always got me, where he says, I wish I was a curse for Christ so that my brethren, the Jews, might be saved. Moses fasted and prayed 40 days and nights because of the sins of the people. Esther said when there was a decree that went out and she heard her people were going to be slaughtered, uh, they said, would you intercede for us? Would you please go before the king? And her reply was, if I perish, I perish. In other words, there's no other option for me. If I perish, I perish. There's a price to pay if we join Christ in his intercession for souls. But yet it's worth it all. When one soul repents, all heaven rejoices. And, you know, a lot of times you can get discouraged. You're not seeing what you would like to see. And then God reminds you of that one soul. And, and I told Rose yesterday, it's all worth it. If even one soul is saved for all of eternity. It's worth it. Because you know how valuable one soul is to God? You know how valuable you were to God? That He died for you? He places a high value on a soul because He understands 
that we were created in His image. We were created to be with Him forever. But He also understands what sin did. And that's why He doesn't desire that any would perish. And that's why He went to the lengths He did to rescue souls. So there's a price. Again, we, we see why it's worth it. We see many vivid pictures in Scripture as far as the plight of the lost. And, and I would encourage you to study hell. Think about hell. Jesus talked about it a lot. It will change the way you see uh, people. It will create a burden in your heart to do whatever is necessary to save them from that place. Um, Isaiah describes the lost as being prisoners whom Satan refuses to release. Acts tells us they are under the authority of Satan. And now back to this guy, when he was a seminary teacher, he did a little project with his students. Check this out. He says, when I was teaching a seminary extension class on personal evangelism, I printed up some prayer list cards with the inscription, I'll go to hell for you. I'll go to hell for you. The idea was to list the names of people for whom we would be willing to go to hell for in their stead and to pray for them regularly. At the next class meeting, after having distributed the cards to my students, one of them, a pastor, said, I don't think I'm that willing to go to hell for anybody. He pretty much spoke for all of us. Although God would not allow us to take another place in hell, it sure would increase the effectiveness of our prayers for them if we were willing. You need to really think about that. That's what Paul prayed. That's what Moses prayed. Lord, blot me out. Now, I'm just going to share with you, I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony throughout because I experienced a lot of supernatural stuff in my drug days. I tasted hell, okay? For real. I saw demons. For real. A demon touched me. For real, okay? And it was the most terrifying thing I ever experienced in my life. And all I thought to myself is, I do not want to go where they want to take me. Because I was still here, and the terror and the fright, you cannot even put it into words. That's all I'll say. And it was the mercy of God I got out of what I got out of that night, and it was because there was people interceding interceding for me. God, don't let Jeff die out there. Someone was standing in the gap for me when all hell literally had its fangs and its claws on me. You could believe that or not, but let me just... Hell is real, the demonic realm is real, and I have experienced it. This is serious. What we are fighting for, souls. It's very serious. There's a book uh, called Heaven and Hell, and it's a, it was written by John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and he gives kind of, it's like an allegory, but there's one part in there where he's describing, it's, he, it's an angel takes him down to hell and is letting him 
talk to people in hell. And one guy, uh, it's, a, it's just called a lost soul speaks. So I'm just going to read. And he's, the lost soul says this in hell. In this sad, dark place of misery and sorrow, we have lost the presence of the ever-blessed God. This is what makes this dungeon hell. Though we had lost a thousand worlds, worlds, it would not be as important as this one greatest loss. We have also the lost company of saints and angels and nothing but tormenting devils. To make our wretchedness far worse, we have lost the hope of ever obtaining a better condition. This makes us truly hopeless. Well, may our hearts now break since we are both without hope and hell and help. And it goes on. And, you know, you think about people, they joke about hell or, yeah, I'm going to hang out with my friends in hell and um, this and that. We're going to have a party in hell. There's no party in hell. And there's no relationships in hell. The only relationships you will have, people will have, is with demonic, grotesque, utter, evil, hateful devils that will be tormenting and torturing them forever and ever and ever and ever without end. That is the reality of a lost soul. That needs to be real to us. That's what God saved me from. That will cause us to agonize for people in prayer. I've heard people agonize. I've heard my wife agonize in prayer for her father. That's what it means to labor. It's you, you agonize in soul. You'll agonize for your kids. You'll agonize for your spouse, maybe. You'll agonize for your neighbors. You'll agonize for your your co-workers, if you truly understand what their life is hanging over by a thread. Jim Cimbala, a pastor in New York of Brooklyn Tabernacle, I, I remember watching this video on prayer. Um, it was a testimony. It was powerful. He agonized. He, he shared there how he agonized for his daughter, Chrissy, for two and a half years with no visible results. Then during a Thursday night prayer meeting at Brooklyn Tabernacle, a young lady felt impressed, felt impressed, led by the Holy Spirit. Now, now we need to pray as a body. We need to pray. There arose a groaning, a sense of desperate determination. It was that, it, it was if to say, Satan, you will not have this girl. You will not have this girl. Take your hands off her. She's coming back. And 32 hours later, she returned home. When we persist and lay hold of God, especially corporately, God hears and He moves on that person's behalf. We see many Examples of this in Scripture. We see it in Luke 11 where there's a friend and um, he goes at midnight and he says, friend, lend me three loaves. And, you know, uh, he says, uh, I have a friend of mine. He's journeying. He's coming to me. I don't have anything. I don't have anything to give me. And he's persistent. He keeps asking. Oh, don't bother me. He keeps asking until he gets bread for his friend. 
It's Jesus teaching us something about prayer. We see the woman of Canaan, a Syrophoenician woman in, in uh, Matthew 15, who had a daughter who was severely demon-possessed. She's desperate. She's heard about Jesus. But she's not one of the chosen people. And she comes to Jesus. But He answered her not a word. He, he acted like He just ignored her. His disciples came and said, send her away. She cries out after us because they despised those people. We can be that way in church, you know. Oh, those, those people away. That's religion. But he answered and said, I was not sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him. Lord, help me! It's not for her, even though she's saying, help me. It's for her daughter who's demon-possessed. And there's many demon-possessed people around us. They're all around us. Help me, Lord. And listen to how he answers. It's not good to take your children's bread and throw it to little dogs. What would you do if Jesus said that to you? Get mad and just stop off? No, the need was too great. Jesus was actually drawing her. It's hard to understand that. But I think there was something in his eyes that was pulling her. Even though, though he was saying what he's saying, she knew something. She knew he's the one. He's the only one that can help me. So she kept at it. Even though he seemingly was telling her, I don't have anything for you. You're, you're not of who I came for. You're, you're, you're just like a little dog. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs. See, that's a picture of humility and understanding who we are before God and coming in humility. Not demanding and, you know, like Naaman when he wanted his healing. Do you know who I am? God had to humble him a little. He healed him, but she humbled herself. Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, oh, woman, great is your faith. That's what God's looking for. People that won't give up. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. We see it in the story uh, in Mark 2, uh, when he entered Capernaum and he was in the house and there was a paralytic, remember, and these four guys, there was crowds. They, they couldn't get in the house. So these four guys take the guy who can't get to Jesus. He can't do it on his own. And they go so as far as to make a hole in the roof and to lower the guy down to get him to Jesus. It's a picture. 
us coming together, doing whatever we can to get a person to Jesus. Because we know if we can get them to Jesus, Jesus will give them whatever they need. So turn with me to Acts 10. I'm going to finish with this. I know it's a long chapter, but I really am going to blow through it. Um, This is a, a verse that the Lord gave Rose that encouraged her to pray for 20 years for him. In verse 2 there. But this is what I was talking about earlier. I want to read this to show you how prayer, when we are praying, whether it's for someone else, whether it's for ourselves, whatever, how it really does connect us to the supernatural. And how when we are persistent in it, it gets God's attention. And then He'll direct. He'll show us what to do. And He'll do what we thought was impossible. Okay? So Acts 10, verse 1. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household. So he was a Roman whom they worshipped all these little deities, but obviously he had learned this Jewish faith that was around and he obviously must have forsaken his idols and chose to worship this God. Had no clue about salvation and Jesus, but he worshipped the, the God of the Jews. Okay? And he was devout. He was well known. And it says uh, he feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people. But here's the key. But, and he prayed to God always. And that was the the phrase that got a hold of Rose. He prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming to him and saying, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and he said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, This is so awesome. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. I want you to picture that in your mind. We, we get little glimpses of the throne room of, in heaven and revelation and all that. You're praying. You're praying for someone. Every day, you're praying. You're laboring. And all of a sudden, heaven stops. And there's your prayer in the throne room before God. And God dispatches an angel. Supernatural. This is really happening. Because this didn't happen in this instance. This is going on all the time in the unseen realm. Because God is supernatural. Persistent prayer rose to the throne room of God. We see many examples how that Persistent prayer gets God's attention. Right? And then he instructs them, Now now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to him, he sent them to Joppa. 
So you understand, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying, he gets a word from God, and he acts on it. So God's saying, now's the time. And he sends his men. Go to this guy, Peter. Maybe he had heard of Peter. But I don't know. God obviously told him to go to Peter, even if he didn't know him. We need prayer like that. We need to learn how to connect to God in that way so he can direct us in that way. We really do. So, verse 9, the next day, as they went on their journey, they drew near the city, and Peter went up on the house to pray, and I think Peter prayed continually. So Peter's praying about the sixth hour, and then he became very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open, and he saw like a a great sheet, an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending him and let down to earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter! Kill and eat. Now, this was an abomination for a Jew to eat all those unclean animals. Peter said, Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you you must not call common. This was done three times. Peter was hard headed, like me. And the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had sent meant, behold, two men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Does God still work like that? One guy's praying over here. He gets instruction. Send someone over here to get this guy. This guy's praying over here. And the minute he's done praying, here's the guy. I have seen this happen in the natural. We had a guy at Pure Life one time. He had an ulcer in his throat. He didn't know it yet, but he had AIDS. And I'm at my house. And I'm in prayer. And God impresses on my heart, you need to go pray for Michael. And I don't know if he's in prayer or what, but at that time, right at that moment, I shared it with Rose, my, someone knocks on my door, and it's a student. He said, Michael said, you need to come pray for him. And I walk over there, and I had a little faith. And when I prayed for him, he was instantly healed. Totally gone. Ran in the kitchen, ate food. That's just one instant. God wants to work that way in our lives. He still does that. He still uses the supernatural. Um, he still uses dreams. Okay? Yeah, we got to be careful. We don't want to go following dreams. We want to make sure things line up with the Word of God. He still uses visions. Yeah, we want to be careful. We want to always make sure it lines up with the Word of God. But guess what? He still works that way. Rose had a dream one night. She saw one of the guys that worked for Pure Life with a beer in his hand. She, got, she told me in the morning, this is weird. I saw so-and-so with a beer in his hand. So jokingly, after chapel, I went up to him. I said, you think this is funny, but Rose had a dream last night. You had a beer in your hand. He said, I have been. I've been drinking. Busted. 
Don't tell me God doesn't still work that way. And I could give you story after story after story. He still works that way. So they called X whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said, Hey, there's three guys looking for you. Arise, go down with them. Don't doubt anything. I have sent them to you. Don't doubt. And then Peter went down to the men who he had sent to him from Cornelius. He said, Yes, I'm he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear words from you. Then he invited them in and they lodged. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had to call together all his relatives and close friends. So I want you to get a hold of that. So Cornelius is praying, and obviously, I don't know what he was praying, but God saw he was seeking, and God was going to make salvation known to him. But it wasn't just for him, because obviously he had other people. Maybe he was praying for, was sharing with, or whatever, because it says he brought friends, family. So now there's a whole crowd there. It's not just him. And here comes Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to, I'm going to skip down, share the gospel with them. And he explains everything Jesus did. So powerful. And it says, while he was speaking, in verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone while they heard his word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues. And magnify God. And Peter said, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. Wow! See, it's exciting serving God. And he wants us to believe him for the miraculous. But We have to get his burden. We have to let him see souls, understand their destiny, so we get desperate enough to pray without ceasing and to learn how to be open and be led by the Holy Spirit. Like I said earlier, Rose, God gave Rose this verse for her. It's her stepdad, Jose. And she fasted once a week for him. She prayed every day for him, and I heard her sometimes. And it wasn't, oh God, please. No, sometimes it was just groaning and weeping that I'd be like, oh, what's that? It was deep. And in that, and she did that for 20 years, and in that, uh, I don't know, eight stents, heart attacks, strokes, death door, but yet 
God kept him alive, kept him alive. 84 years old. We're walking in an outdoor mall. And God, this man's there giving out tracts who probably prayed. And obviously, if it was me, I'd be praying, Lord, send me people. And there's Jose sitting in his wheelchair. And here comes this guy. The Lord said, now, now's the time. And I'm sitting there, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I've got real faith. I'm like, yeah, we've been sharing with him for years. Yeah, go ahead, give it a shot. And the man got on his knees and he shared the gospel so beautiful and Jose just started crying. And he said, do you want that? He said, yes. And he gave his heart to God. 20 years. 20 years. Like I said earlier, people prayed for me. I had angels, or whatever it was, visit me. I'd be in the Bronx. After being out a few days, out of my mind, I'm sitting in my car at a light, and this drunk comes walking up, and he's out of his mind. He walks up to my window, immediately straightens up, and begins to speak to me. You know what you're doing is wrong, Jeff. You, you didn't see my name. You need to go home. You need to go home. It's time to go home. And then he became drunk again and walked away. I remember being in, a, in an apartment building. A guy with a knife to my throat, not knowing how I would get out of it, really just wanting him to cut my throat because I was literally out of my mind. And I'd begin to hear Rose's voice outside. I'd begin to hear my pastor's voice outside, even though they're not there. And somehow, it, it was literally like, because these two guys had me, he's ready to cut my throat, and all of a sudden, they parted, and I walked through them, and I got out of the apartment. I get in my car, and I cried out to God, because I, my mind wasn't working. I, I said, God, I don't know how to get home. And a voice spoke to me and said, follow that car. I'm not kidding you. I followed a car, and it led me right to the front of my house. And when I walked in, Rose was there with another lady from the church praying for me. And she told me they were praying, God, don't let him die out there. And when I came here to Kentucky, I prayed. Maybe like Cornelius, God, if you're real, i got to know, because I'm done. And I prayed, and I prayed, and it felt like nothing was happening. Then one day, he opened up my understanding, and I saw him. He unveiled the cross to me. And my life was never the same. It's never been the same. God answers prayer, but he's looking for people to pray. There was people that prayed for me. That didn't give up on me, even though I was I was full of the devil. I had become dark. And there's a lot of people out there we might look at. Maybe there's someone in your family that just seems like they're too far gone. And God wants you to believe and hold faith for them. There's no one too far gone for Jesus. Nobody. Just remember the demoniac. There's no one too far gone. I don't care what it looks like. Think this morning as we close. 
about your loved ones. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's cousins. I don't know. Think about your neighbors. Think about people you work with. Think about people you see. Because you have to choose to see the people. They're all around here. They walk by my office. I see them. I see that guy Jim walking around. He's not all there mentally, but God sees him. Think about them. Do you desire that they would perish? Of course not. Of course not. Does it disturb you enough to move you to action? To pray, to be open to whatever God leads you to do? Because that's what it's going to take. But it has to be Him. You understand that? When you're praying, when you're interceding like that, it won't be just ideas. It won't just be, oh yeah, we should do this, we should do that. No, God will lead you. God will burden you for certain things. And He'll be in it and He'll be able to bring about what He can only bring about. That's what He's after. Are they worth sacrificing your own life so that they might be saved. Because that's what it's going to take. We're going to have to lay our lives down. Are we willing to tarry in prayer and move towards them with the same compassion that Jesus had for us? I read a quote that disturbed me. says, uh, 95% of professing Christians have never won a single soul to Christ. That's frightening. We need to become like a praying hide. You ever hear of that guy? I'll just finish with his testimony. He was a missionary to India who literally gave his life praying for souls to be saved. In 1908, he prayed that God would give him one soul every day. That year, he won 400 souls to Christ. The next year, he prayed for two souls a day. Not just to pray a prayer, but to be baptized and consecrated to Christ. He won over 800 to Christ. Then in 1910, he prayed for four souls a day, and God granted his request. For us to understand, oh wait, then, uh, but during this year, as his health was failing, a friend persuaded him to visit a doctor. For us to understand the tremendous toll of travail for souls, let's listen to what the doctor told him. He said, I have never come across a case like this. Your heart has been shifted out of its natural condition. It's it's uh, shifted from the left side over to a place on the right side. Through stress and strain, it is in such a bad condition that it will require months and months of strictly quiet life to bring it back again to anything like its normal state. 
What have you been doing with yourself? Unless you change your whole life and give up the stream, you will have to pay the supreme penalty within six months. Well, he didn't cease praying. So I want to end like this today. I want us to pray. Now, I don't know if there's anyone here uh, pretty much know you all, but maybe someone online. You know your family's been praying for you. Someone's been praying for you. You've heard the gospel, but you haven't responded yet. We're going to pray for you today. And you're going to respond to the Lord because He's calling you today. Today's your day to respond to Him. You might not have tomorrow. And if there's anyone here when we're done praying that wants to come up here and and wants to pray and surrender their life to Him, um, we're going to pray with you today. But I I want us to pray for those souls. And I I know all of you. I I, I know some of the situations we've talked about of people you've been praying for. And we're going to believe God today for divine intervention. And I'm going to ask you guys to pray out and we're going to believe God today. But it's not going to end today. We're going to ask God to help us because you're not going to do this in your own strength. We're going to ask God to help us, to stir us, to disturb us, to not leave us alone. That these people's faces, they're going to be in our eyes all day. They're going to be in our hearts all day. And we are going to pray until God does something, even if it means till we die. Because we don't know what will happen even after we die. We're going to pray for this dear sister and what she's doing right over here. Those people need to get saved and God sees them. It was such a blessing to hear her burden for the people around here. We're going to pray for Meadowview, for those kids, for those families over there. We're going to pray for your kids. Whoever it is, we're going to believe God today. So let's end by praying in faith. But let's remember, it's not just for now. And, and that's going to mean something for you to do. I have a list I, that, that reminds me. But again, it's got to be the whole... We have to avail ourselves. we got to say, God, yes. Yes, Lord. I, I want to be the one that stands in the gap. Use me. Use me, Lord. So let's end with that. And I'll start, and let's just enter into a time of prayer before we exit this building. Lord, I thank You today that You hear the cries of Your people, Lord. And lo, though it seems at times that You tarry long, though it seems, Lord, that our prayers are going answered, Lord, You have proven over and over and over and over again You did it in my life. You did it in Jose's life. There's so many testimonies here today, Lord, that you did the impossible. You did what seemed impossible. And Lord, you have not changed. If anything, the hour we are living, Lord, we need something greater. But Lord, you promised us. And Lord, it's you that is entreating us and calling us to believe, to stand Lord, in the gap for those that don't even know how to say, they don't even understand their condition.
condition. They don't understand where they're headed. So, God, we're asking, we're pleading today, Lord, have mercy on them, Lord. Open their eyes as we sung earlier. You've already opened our eyes. Open their eyes, Lord. Open their hearts. Open their ears so they'll hear Your voice calling out to them, God. Lord, don't give us rest day or night, Lord, because we're not going to give You rest, Lord. We're going to be that squeaky wheel, Lord. Lord, I pray a cry will go up out of this building constantly to You. Lord, I pray it will go up out of our homes, Lord, when we're driving in our vehicles, Lord. God, until You open the door, Lord. There's so many around us, Lord. They need bread, God. They need what only You can give them. Oh, God, please do something in us. Let us share with You, Lord. Let us share Your burden, Lord. We want to enter in with You, Lord, to intercede for others. So, God, have Your way. Have Your way in us, Lord. You haven't changed. What's impossible with man is possible with You. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Lord.